now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, Super Bowl Week Edition. I cannot wait. I'm Alex Shane here. Well, not I'm not technically here with Rich Hill because Rich Hill is somewhere way cooler than where I am right now. I'm sitting at my apartment in New York like a sucker. Rich, you're in Minnesota, aren't you? Yeah, it is way cooler here. That is very, very true. I, I, I woke up this morning and I looked at you know what the temperature, what the weather was supposed to be. Negative eight with wind chill is how it starts. It's supposed to get even just colder over the next two days as well. So... Yeah, it's it's pretty cool here. It's it's but yeah, no. Today's the the first night of media week. We had the opening night. Uh, right now, we just finished as of our recording. Right now, Patriots finish uh, meeting with everyone. You know, the whole rigmarole of people dressing up and asking ridiculous questions like, "What was your favorite SpongeBob quote growing up?" And hopefully, that's all in the the rearview mirror, so we can actually ask some some real insight on how their year has really progressed and what they want to talk about. Yeah, it's cool. You know, you can hear a little bit of background noise behind you, buddy. Obviously, there's some other media guys. The Patriots players are in the vicinity. It is here. It is officially time to prepare for the Super Bowl. It's funny. The Pats were here last year. Obviously, this is their third time in fourth years being here. This is your second time in two years being here. You're going back-to-back on Media Week. Oh, yeah. Any any initial thoughts on any, any different kind of vibe, different atmosphere from here in the last? How are you comparing your experience so far to how you did it last year? Well, okay, so it, it's very different. Last year was in Houston, and Houston was just so spread out. And best way I can explain it, if you're not familiar with the city of Houston, is that there's, let's just say, like six different hubs. You know, there there's six different sections of Houston that's like a really big deal, and then there's not much other than highway for us to do. So, like, the hotels and the mall were in one section, and then the media hotel was in a different hub, and then the convention center was in another hub. And so you had to drive a lot to get from place to place to place, but the weather was beautiful. It was very, very lovely to to be down in Houston at this time of year. This is a very, very stark contrast. And uh, yeah, so the entire media week, other than tonight, which is happening at the Minnesota Wilds Hockey Arena at, at the rink, so I'm not really sure how far away that is. It seemed to be like a 30-minute drive or so. But everything else is taking place at the Mall of America, which is right next to our hotel, which is fantastic. Although, I'm sure I'll get a little bit of cabin fever maybe come Wednesday or Thursday if I haven't left the mall vicinity. <laughs> that could come <laughs> faster than I expect. Well, listen, man, we are all jealous of you. I'm glad you're there. Boots on the ground, representing the pulpit in style. Hopefully you brought your pretty sweet hat and T-shirt, oh, yeah. courtesy of the Best Buddies Challenge. Rock that. Uh, any Patriots you've met so far? Any early quotes you want to share with us? Or are you still kind of getting in the swing of things? Yeah, so we're definitely getting started here. I, I spent most of this opening night talking with uh, the practice squad players or those that aren't really active on game day because everyone else was just a total zoo. You know, if you wanted to talk to Tom Brady, there was a scrum in front of him about 10 people deep with cameras and video camera. I mean, you're just not going to get any access to those players at this point in the week. And so... You find the players that are just kind of standing around, and I actually had a, a pretty good angle that we'll be reading about tomorrow, or I guess as of today on Pat's Pulpit, where I looked at all of the players that have been winning Practice Player of the Week awards. You know, that's what the Patriots award certain players on their scout team or their practice teams after every victory. You know, wh- which players the coaches deemed 
help the help the players prepare best for their opponent. And, you know, most of them are practice squad players. Most of them are back end of the roster. And so I was asking, like, which is what it meant to them to get that distinction from the coaching staff. And part of that role, though, involves them kind of emulating players on the other team during the practice. And so, for instance, the, you know, the Patriots were preparing to play the Houston Texans this year, week three. And so I was talking to Gino Grissom. He leads the team right now. He has 13 practice squad player or practice player of the week awards over the past two years who he was emulating to, to win an award that week. And he was J.J. Watt. You know, uh, I think that's pretty cool that, you know, Gino Grissom is not of the same mold of J.J. Watt. I think J.J. Watt has like 50 pounds on him. But it's, it's just, I think, interesting. And it highlights how the, the Patriots have everyone on their team just ready to help out no matter whether the, they're number one on the roster, number 53, or even 63 if they're on the practice squad. That's really cool. And, yeah, I'm sure it's going to get more and more crazy as the days go on. Question I have to ask, Rich, because I, will, I saw a little clip of it earlier today, and my mind is blown. Have you seen Bill Belichick yet, or did you see him enter into Minnesota with his fedora and his black suit looking like a Prohibition-era gangster? Oh and my is gosh. he still wearing that fedora and black tie? Okay, so he's not wearing the fedora anymore, but he is definitely still rocking his suit and style. And the way that this night runs is that the Patriots players, they went through their interviews first. You know, they were, they were going for an hour, and then there's a little layover in between of an hour where they get captains and the head coaches of both teams up on the stage to, I don't know, answer some questions or something. They have the Super Bowl trophy in between them. You know, it's just like a, it's a photo shoot opportunity. But Belichick looks extraordinarily dapper in his suit and tie. And then Doug Peterson, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, walks out on stage in dad jeans and a tucked-in T-shirt. He's just some stained grass, new balances away from looking like he came in from mowing his yard. So it's just like, man, it's just a, it's just a very striking difference of, of what Belichick is preparing for. You know, he's, his, his tie is dimpled. And Peterson's uh, just rolled out of bed. Well, well, again, I, I think that's a maybe indicative of the Patriots having been here before so many times. This is their million Super Bowl, it seems like. The Patriots is an old half for them. The Eagles, this is a new experience. It's their first time back since 2004 when they played the Patriots last time. Uh, the circle of life continues. I know you haven't spoken to the Eagles yet. It's still really early. But do you feel at this point the Patriots are maybe not used to this, but they 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 have the experience, they have the ability, they know what's going to happen in the coming days, and they're playing their cards as such, or is this a totally new vibe for them, do you think? Yeah, that's what this opening night is actually really good for, is there, it's a very clear distinction between the players that have been here before and those that are going through their first experience. I don't know if you saw a picture. There's a picture of Brandon Cooks going around right now, and he's just exhausted. This is the, the first night of media week. They're still... You know, three more days of a media availability to go, and Cooks just looks dog tired. <laughs> and then <laughs> on the other hand, like two booths over, you have Matthew Slater, who's just, you know, chipper as a as a bird. <laughs> he's just having the time of his life. He knows how to pace himself. He knows what's going on, and he can laugh. You know, he he's having a good time because this is his fourth Super Bowl. He's been around the block before. He knows how to do it. He knows how to handle it. And I think when we see the Philadelphia Eagles go out there, you know, some of them do have that experience. Like Eric Blunt is definitely going to just be ready to hang out, and so will Chris Long. But I believe the New England Patriots have like 35 players with Super Bowl experience, where the Eagles have six. Wow. So, some, something very, very striking like that. And you can't oversell it. You know, some players really do tire themselves out over the, the course of the Super Bowl week. It's a completely different 
timing and you know the events are stretched out there's a longer halftime you have to understand how to pace yourself and that really could go in new england's advantage yeah, I mean, that is one area where the Patriots do have more experience in Super Bowl appearances. Their players are more seasoned for it. The coaching staff is more seasoned for it. That could definitely play in come Sunday. However, at the end of the day, it's going to be two teams on the field. That's where it's going to be decided. Obviously, Patriots Super Bowls of past have not gone swimmingly in terms of easy, stress-free, relaxing games that are over by halftime. All signs point to this one being another barn burner that comes down to the final minute or the final score. Let's get some early game analysis here, Rich. The, both teams have had their bye week. The dust has kind of settled. It's Nick Foles versus Tom Brady. It's a very strong pass rush against a very good offense. There is a good running back core on both sides, good receivers on both sides. Other than the quarterback position, which obviously favors the Patriots, I feel like these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Yeah, no, I have to definitely agree with that. And you see how the injury reports are playing out. Both teams are getting close to as healthy as they will be, given that, you know, the Eagles are down their potential MVP candidate quarterback. They don't have uh, Jason Peters, who's one of the best tackles in the NFL. I mean, they're definitely hurting in comparison. But the Patriots don't have Julian Edelman, don't have Dante Hightower. They have also overcome a lot of injuries on their side of, of, of the, the register. But I agree with you. I, th- I think both teams really are balanced other than at that quarterback role. Uh, if, you know, the, the old saying, you know, he could beat you with his or beat you with Yorn, whatever that was. Uh, I think that's the case here. It can come down to the coaching of this game, whether Doug Peterson can allow himself to get outcoached by Bill Belichick or if he can overthink things. And it'll come down to which version of Nick Foles comes out. Because with the Patriots, I, I explained Tom Brady's MVP candidacy in a similar term, where every single year Tom Brady's going to come out and deliver you know, 95 out of 100 on his final exam. And sometimes that's enough to be top of his class to win the MVP award. Sometimes Matt Ryan's going to come out and get a 100 out of 100. But the very next year, he'll be going, you know, 85 out of 100. So Tom Brady has the the highest consistency in the league. And that's kind of representative of that roster. The Patriots are going to come out. You know what they're going to do. They're going to be a very, very solid and strong team. And the the volatility of this Eagles team, the volatility of what Nick Foles can do and what he will do, is what is going to be the deciding factor because you look at the the Eagles offense. Uh, Ertz is a very, very good tight end. Zach Ertz, he leads the team with 824 yards from scrimmage. They have a good host of running backs. LeGarrette Blunt is back there. Uh, Jay Ajayi is back there as well. Corey Clement is a name that you have to watch out for because he does bring a level of versatility to that offense. And then at wide receiver, they have Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar. So they have a very strong depth of players that match up fairly well with what the Patriots have on defense because uh, that aguilar Tory smith combination, New England would be in much better shape if they had Jonathan Jones and his speed against Tory Smith, who is just, you know, he's that deep ball receiver that he's been his entire career. Those Joe Flacco defensive pass interference specials are, are yeah. still in his arsenal. And so if Jonathan Jones were available, it might tilt the scale in the Patriots' favor. But without him there, I don't know if Malcolm Butler matches up well. I don't want him in the slot against Aguilar. I don't want him going against the speed and potential double moves of Torrey Smith. And so that, that is a risk. And so if Nick Foles can hit a few home runs to Torrey Smith with that deep ball, then they have a real shot. But if Malcolm Butler comes out and plays his A game that he hasn't really done all season, then New England can have this one on lock. 
So that's a good way to kind of segue into the offense versus defense of Philadelphia. As we've always talked about, Rich, the Patriots are very good at taking away your biggest weapon and making you beat them with other guys, your third, fourth, fifth option. Would you say at this point, at least early in the Super Bowl week, and based on what you've seen from the Eagles and the Patriots all season long, their running game, their tight end attack, or their receivers are where they're most dangerous? See, that's a, that's a very good question. They're a very balanced team when you look at it. Uh, they rank third, though, in the NFL in rushing yards. They rank 13th in passing yards. They lead in passing touchdowns. So they lean on both aspects of their offense. They pass it a lot, and they do run it. Um, and so with Nick Foles back there, if it was Carson Wentz, I think this would be an entirely different story. But with Nick Foles back there, there's going to be a very, very heavy reliance on their ground game to take the pressure off of Nick Foles, who, other than his outstanding NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings, has very much struggled in the face of pressure. And that's why the Eagles, they're going to need Blunt. They're going to need Ajayi to really grind out some yards early on, similar to the way that uh, Leonard Fournette of the Jaguars was able to do in the first half. But they'll also have to not rely too heavily on that running game. Nick Foles will still have to hit a few passes, in the way that Blake Bortles was unable to in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think the the easy answer at this point is, you know, Nick Foles is going to be Nick Foles at some point, just like Blake Bortles turned into Blake Bortles late in the Patriots-Jaguars game. I don't know if he's the kind of quarterback that can sustain a high level of excellence for an entire game. In the Vikings game, they got up so early, so quick, he didn't really need to be that good, and the pressure was so far off him that it's kind of hard to, to evaluate that game as an indicator of how he's going to play in the Super Bowl, especially because the Eagles were at home. They're a very different team on the road versus at home, not to mention just the hoopla and the hullabaloo that goes around Super Bowl week. I just love the word hullabaloo, and I'm glad <laughs> I could use it in the situation here. Good for me. So, yeah, I think Foles is going to be kind of their weak link, and as a result of that, the tight end attack and their receiver attack could possibly suffer. As you said, he could come out and just light it up again, go two for two on his back-to-back amazing weeks, and if that's the case, very long day for New England. But I think the running game is really where it's going to be at. I think it's a very similar strategy that the Jaguars employed. A lot of play actions, a lot of rollouts, a lot of grind and stretch runs and tosses and sweeps to keep the offense going, keep Tom Brady off the field, grind out some yards, tire up the defense, and then maybe take that one or two deep shots down the field to really break the Patriots back. That's my strategy if I'm Doug Peterson, and I think with the way the personnel matchups are, they definitely have the people to do that. So I'm really hoping that Allen Branch and Malcolm Brown, both of whom seem to be healthy and practicing, unless I have heard otherwise, unless I'm mistaken, uh, that front middle of the line there where all that beef is has a really big day. Uh, that way have to force the ball outside, and those guys got to set the edge. Yeah, and Lawrence Guy and Ricky Jean-Francois should have a, a pretty big role in stopping that run as well. And, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots defense came out in a similar way that they approached both the, the Titans and the Jaguars. With that 3-4 front, they had three defensive tackles. They wanted to make sure that the quarterback would be responsible for, for winning the day. And Jacksonville, they did a pretty good job of handling that in the first quarter where New England was heavier up front to stop the run. And that made them a little more vulnerable to dump off passes. And so they used a lot of, you know, rollout bootlegs, some, some run pass options where they had Blake Bortles try to get out into space and force either the defensive ends who in that front were responsible for dropping into coverage against running backs or the, the linebackers like a Landon Roberts to cover tight ends. And that puts the favor in the offense. And the question is, can Nick Foles be accurate on the move? 
I think he can be a little more accurate than Blake Bortles can. And that could just also tilt the, the scale in the favor of the Eagles if they're able to counter. And I do think they can. That, that's the thing is Doug Peterson is a very creative head coach. He's a very creative offensive mind. And he knows how to get players into space. And he knows how to attack the Patriots' weakness, which has been for a while. How well can they contain players on the edge? And I'm sure... That's what the Patriots are focusing on. That is also what the Eagles will be looking to try and exploit. And can they do it? Uh, that's the that's the real question. You you see how Andy Reid, who you know coached Doug Peterson, you know really groomed him. They have Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. You had Corey Grant with the Jaguars. Who do the Eagles have that can really exploit the Patriots' linebackers in space? Would they use Nelson Aguilar to do that? That's a real question. I think he could, but they've never really done that before. He's really been a slot receiver. And so the, the Eagles will have to de- dig deep into their bag of tricks, maybe pull out something that we haven't seen before, but still aligns with what they utilize in their offense. They're not going to reinvent the wheel. But I, I do think they have the, the capability to kind of push the Patriots' defense to the limits. What about the other side of the ball, Rich? Patriots uh, offense against the Eagles defense. I feel like this is one area where the Patriots do have a good advantage, with the exception of that defensive front. The Eagles have like seven guys that can get to the, the, the quarterback. Chris Long, we all know too well from last year. Fletcher Cox, obviously one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Uh, Steven Means, Brandon Graham, Vinny Curry. They have a pretty decent front four and linebacking core of uh, Daniel Ellerby and there's some good guys and your, your boy Camel Grugier Hill oh, he's yeah. uh, still an eagle oh, yeah. Um, yeah so I mean they've got some some good guys and again the more we I, I delve into this Eagles roster the more I'm reminded of the Jacksonville Jaguars that gave the Patriots a very difficult three quarters initial matchup Patriots offense versus Eagles defense who has the edge right now yeah I, you just look at Tom Brady that's the the real deciding factor whichever team has Tom Brady will have the edge here so clearly the Patriots. You know, the the Eagles do have one of the more devastating fronts that the Patriots will face all season. You know, you just listed a bunch of players, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they'll all say that there's eight players that you have to watch out for on the Eagles, and it's not just sacks. You look at the sack counts, and it's like, it's not super impressive. I mean, they have 38 sacks. They don't have anyone in the double digits. Brandon Graham has nine and a half. Fletcher Cox, their defensive tackle, is second with five and a half. So you got to look beyond the sack numbers, though. They, they just create so much disruption. They generate so much pressure that they affect passes, and that's why they're able to force so many turnovers. And that's going to be one of the big deciding factors. Uh, I believe that they, they rank fourth in the NFL in takeaways, so New England's really going to have to take care of the football. But I also want to point out that's Tom Brady's strength. His, his best attribute is his ability to avoid making bullet, like boneheaded mistakes you know, he had that pick six against the Atlanta Falcons for sure, but he is able to avoid making that terrible move. He protects the football, and the Patriots are one team that knows how to counter a pass rush, especially if they believe that that you know the secondary and the linebackers aren't great in coverage. And that's where the New England also has that favor, because while that defensive front is incredible, Cram. Cox, Long, Barnett, Curry, Jernigan. You know, they have so much talent on that defensive front. But then you got Michael Kendricks, who is a very talented all-around linebacker at the second level. He wasn't actually starting. He, he wasn't in their plans, uh, really, until someone else suffered an injury. Uh, Jordan Hicks was their middle linebacker, suffered an injury, so they had to put Michael Kendricks back out there. And then 
Uh, they had Nigel Bradham, former Buffalo Bill, who learned under uh, Jim Schwartz a few years ago. He's been their lead guy. They're both very, very talented, don't get me wrong, but they're not the Jaguars linebackers. Telvin Smith and Miles Jack are two of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL. They have a great ability to drop into coverage, and you saw that in the AFC Championship game. They just erased the Patriots running backs as receivers, which is what New England was trying to do in order to to kind of take away the Jaguars' pressure, right? And so that's what the Eagles are going to try and do, and that's how the Patriots are going to retaliate, is by putting James White and Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead out into the flat and forcing those linebackers and those defensive ends to kind of peel off into coverage to reduce the pass rush, to reduce that pressure. And so when the Patriots either do their play action or they do some of their misdirection, the Eagles' pass rush is going to have to pause for a second and think, oh, maybe we have to drop back. And you look at that Eagles linebacker and even their secondary, they're not as great as what the Jaguars have. And so even if their defensive front is comparable to what the Jaguars were able to trot out, and I still think Jacksonville's was a little bit better, the the, just the back end of that Eagles roster it, or of their defense is just prepared for Brady to exploit it. You know, it's funny, you know, on our, our pregame show for the Jacksonville game, we both talked about and agreed on, on the running backs as major factors, receiving out of the backfield, a lot of screens and misdirections. The Jaguars blew all that up, and Brandon Cooks was the guy that carried the offense primarily, especially yeah. when Rob Gronkowski went out. Um, and I think that's actually probably where the biggest mismatch is on the entire field, both sides of the ball, offense, defense of both teams, the Patriots receivers against the Eagles secondary. I like Ronald Darby. Uh, Jalen Mills is all right for a second-year guy, but their secondary isn't isn't great. Um, I like Malcolm Jenkins, but there's not guys that I can like. And he's like he's like a nine-year vet too. It's not like he's getting on, he's on the wrong side of thirty. So it's not like there are these guys I think match up very well. Like Bob Gronkowski is going to play. Everybody's trying so hard to continue this narrative how he's not going to play because he's not at media today today. But he's definitely going to be out there. He'll be as healthy as he's been for Super Bowl since probably Seattle, um, which isn't that long ago, I guess. But still, it's good to know he's out there. I just feel like Brady against this 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 eagle secondary is where the biggest mismatch is so i wonder if they're going to commit all the resources to that secondary knowing that mismatch is there which will to your point allow the running backs for those under routes leave the linebackers on the island against Deion lewis and james white and the Patriots take a big advantage of that way yeah and that's one of the things that the jaguars were able to do so well right is that they didn't have to dedicate so many of their resources to their secondary they could trust Jalen Ramsey to cover whoever he was one-on-one. That was one of my favorite graphs to come away from that game is uh, a picture of, I believe, all of Danny Amendola's routes. And you can just see how they're drawn up, that every single Danny Amendola route was built to get away from Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey was covering one side of the field. Patriots ran every play to the other side of Jalen Ramsey. And the Eagles don't have anyone like that in their secondary. They can't erase half of the field for the quarterback. And so the Patriots, as you said, Brandon Cooks carried the offense against the Jaguars. I think he matches up well against whatever defensive back the Eagles want to trot out there. There's no one on the Eagles' secondary that I think would win one-on-one against any of the Patriots' receivers, right? You know, maybe, as you said, Chris Hogan is battling an injury. Maybe he's not entirely healthy if he's that guy, you know? I I just think the Patriots have so much talent. They're just so strong on offense. All of their players are producing well. Gronkowski will hopefully be out there. He cannot be covered one-on-one. Brandon Cooks cannot be covered one-on-one. Danny Amendola clearly can't be covered one-on-one. He's been outstanding this postseason, and good luck using your linebackers one-on-one against Deion Lewis in space. So 
as you said, the Eagles are going to have to eventually just remove some of their resources from their pass rush and drop them into coverage, and that'll just give New England all day and just really tilt the scale in the favor of the Patriots offense. So we're going to get obviously closer and more in-depth into our predictions later on in the week with our pregame show and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm not, so I'm not going to ask you too many specifics, Trish. Let me ask you this. If you had to pick this game being an offensive shootout or a defensive low-scoring battle, which one would you take right now? Uh, my gut tells me that it will be a high-scoring affair, and that definitely means that the Patriots are going to win 10-6 or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, again, if you look at the Patriots games of, of past, they've, you know, 34 is the most points they've ever scored in the Super Bowl, and they needed overtime to do that. It's always been a lot of kind of 28-24s or 20-17s or 24-21s. Usually less than 30 points is scored in a Patriots Super Bowl. But it's just we're both talking about how well the Patriots offense matches up against the Eagles defense, and it makes me think that maybe they're maybe they're going to score first quarter points for the first time in their history <laughs> under Tom Brady. I don't know. Maybe trend. Yeah, maybe it's just too much to hope for. There are, there are a lot of trends I don't like, Rich, going on here. There's the Madden curse. We still haven't really had that happen to Tom Brady, unless the stitches were the Madden curse, and I'll take it in that case. I think the last NFL MVP to win a Super Bowl was Kurt Warner back in 1999 with the Rams. So it's been basically 20 years since an NFL MVP won a Super Bowl. The Eagles have this kind of underdog mentality, this team of destiny mentality. Maybe the Patriots are caught slipping and taking things for granted. I don't know. I think there's a lot of weird juju out there that can make this game go either way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you want to add another another jinx to it all, I guess, is that no NFL passing leader, no quarterback who has ever lead the, the, led the league in passing yards has ever won the Super Bowl. I believe that is uh, that's another fact that is going against Tom Brady and the Patriots. But, yeah, as you said, we'll get more down with this over the course of the week. Uh, once we learn more about Rob Gronkowski's availability, we'll have our pregame show ahead of the game on Sunday. And, it, I mean, it is the Patriots, right? They always find a way to compete. They always find a way to be there at the end of the game. So maybe it's it's not as smooth of a sale as they hoped or many people might prognosticate. But it's you can never count them out. Right. And so right. Uh, no matter what Juju is going against them, it's still going to be a ball game where the Patriots have a real chance of winning. That's true. I know you got stuff to do, Rich, with your media. I'm sure the Eagles are getting ready to come on so you can go and harass them, maybe get them sick, sneeze on them, do whatever you have to do. <laughs> Last thing I'll ask you before I let you take off. I know it's early in the week and no one's really started trickling in yet in terms of fans. But do you have any kind of gauge as to like which way the city of Minnesota is leading? Are there more Patriots fans right now, more Eagles fans? How do you see it shaking out for fan percentage? Yeah, that's actually a good question. So what's super interesting is uh, there are a lot of Vikings fans here. And they all hate the Eagles. It's <laughs> incredible. So during media, you know, the the opening night ceremony, you know, the Patriots are there. They ask, like, where are all the Patriots fans? And you get a few, like, yay, we're here. You know, this is our eighth time possibly doing this over the past 20 years. So, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then they ask, like, where are the Eagles fans? And you get, like, half a second of people being like, yay. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and it's the loudest one of all and the, so they just naturally followed up it's like where are my vikings fans and they just hate the eagles you know they i mean the vikings lost to the eagles in the nfc championship game missed out there on their chance of going to the super bowl in their own hometown so it's completely understandable but 
if there is going to be a home field advantage, it won't be pro-Patriot. They won't be pro-Eagles. It'll be anti-Eagles because there's so many people from Minnesota that just hate the Eagles and want to see them lose. Interesting. I see the enemy of the of the enemy is my friend kind of thing. Absolutely. And I just hope I just hope it seems like Minnesota's seen some nice like nice people in Minnesota, <laughs> and you have these two just obnoxious fan bases. On the one hand, you have like these smug, arrogant, entitled Pats fans that are like sick of being here. Then you have the Eagles fans who are gonna like riot in the streets and blow stuff up regardless of the outcome. <laughs> kind of a lose lose for the city of Minnesota for the city of Minneapolis. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And you gotta respect the Vikings fans for still showing up even if their team yeah. isn't here. Uh, I mean, the stadium was full. I mean, he's not going to say it was like a sold-out house, but there were a lot more people there than you would expect, especially it being a Monday. And not a lot of fans are here yet. Most people trickle in on Thursday night as families make it a three-day weekend. So there aren't a lot of people that are going to go to the game itself uh, where no one's near like the Mall of America or where all the hotels by the airport are. So there, there's some distance that people would have to travel to get to this specific event. And there was a pretty good turnout. And so I'm pretty impressed by what the Minnesota fans are bringing to the table. And hopefully, hopefully come game day, they'll continue to be booing the, the Eagles and making it so Nick Foles can't hear what's going on under center. I'm totally fine with that. But, Rich, I know you have stuff to do at home. I'm glad you're doing the pulpit proud. Couldn't have a better chief and representative out there hitting the bricks for us. Get some good coverage. Looking forward to your stuff this week, man. All right, awesome. And I'll, I'll start uploading all of our content, patspulpit.com. Make sure you check it out. And until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>